You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Fall into Sin and the Harmony of the Sexes, recorded on Sunday, October 1st, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to First Time Visitors uh, at Harvest Community Church, whether you're right here in Catanning, or whether you're in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or beautiful Freeport, or loveliest of all, Fairview. Um, uh, my name is Mike. Did I say that? Uh, my name is Mike, if you don't know, and I get to bring the message. And before I do, though, um, I actually want to go back to the, the bulletin, because when I opened it up, I saw this really good-looking family that doesn't go to our church. I'm not going to talk about that, but... What I do want to talk about, I was really excited to see on the feature page, is our women's conference coming up. And I actually have a bigger picture, because I want to talk about it anyway. What timing? Um, in November the 11th, I know that's about six weeks away, there is a women's conference we're holding here. By the beauty and virtue of video, we can bring a women's conference in with all the speakers, and we'll add music, or we'll add refreshments and all the rest and this one's going to be awesome. I was reading through who's speaking, and I know these people. I know these women. I know those men. It's going to be on First Peter. This is going to be an outstanding conference. It's a one-day event. You don't have to go anywhere but here. If you're at one of the other campuses, we're holding it here at Catanning because it's the, got the most space for everyone to sit. But if you ladies know women from other churches, invite them because we want to help build up those churches and their members too. Uh, I know it's six weeks out, but the time to register is right now, and you do that online at harvestpa.org. Just go there and look for whatever. You'll find it. Click around, and you'll find how to register. Make sure you register. Make sure you set aside that date in November uh, to come out. Ladies, you'll want to have um, already got your uh, bow hunting in by then, hopefully, right? Um, <laughs> so come to that. Um, and here's some, some great teaching. I'm excited about that. That's the kind of thing that gets me excited, teaching the Word of God no matter who does it. And, and so I better get to it, because I'm supposed to do it right now. Um, and I want to start with, a, with a, probably something familiar to you. Have you ever done a bad thing? Uh, and then said, what is wrong with me? Why do I do stuff like that? Have you ever lost your temper, or said something bad, or just done something really stupid? And just said, what is wrong with me? Well, I've done that. What is wrong with me? And the answer is sin. You know, it's not like that's a question without an answer. I'm broken, and you're broken from birth. Our old, what we call our old nature as Christians, because we have new life in Christ, is broken. We tend to sin. We come up with the idea to sin. It's not like there's nothing in us that isn't doesn't want what's good, but everything that wants what's good, good is bent. See, sin is, 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 is not a, an original thing. It's you take something good and you bust it or you bend it or you mess it up. Every sin you've ever done has been connected probably to something that's good. But then it's twisted and broken. Um, if I had no sin, I would behave perfectly. Some people here are perfectionists because some people in every room are perfectionists. And it's a, it's a dying, you're not going to do it. You're going to fail. You will be better than me. 
and people will notice. People will say, look at this person and look at him. Your clothes will have a nicer crease. You'll be on time more often. You'll get more done on tasks. But guess what? You're still not going to be perfect. You're going to blow this thing. None of us can behave just right. The world would be much better off if I didn't sin. Because sin always hurts other people. Sin is what makes the world an awful place. Well, when it comes to male and female, and marriage specifically, the center of the male and female union, what should be a harmonious and beautiful dance becomes a battle sometimes. Not always, but much of the time, some of the time, because of sin. And in our text in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 24, uh, we are going to see where, how that sin affects specifically the male and female relationship. We're going to see a lot of other things too as you're turning in your Bible to Genesis 3. Um, we're going to see a lot of other things too that we're not going to cover now. Some of them we're going to go and pick up later when we talk about what does it mean to be a Christian husband and what does it mean to be a Christian wife. But for now, we're going to leave a lot of this lay. But we do want to see, uh, hopefully you know the story. If you didn't, in a nutshell, Adam and Eve had no sin until they did. God said, don't eat of the tree of the garden in the middle. They ate because Satan talked to them into it, talked Eve into it, and she talked Adam into it, and together they sinned, and sin ruined them. They, they were the perfect people. They, were, they would never say, what is wrong with me? Because they never hurt anybody, and they never hurt themselves until sin came, and sin ruins everything. There's no messing that up. It's a little step that ruins it all. And Okay, Genesis 3, verse. it's like accidentally splitting an atom. <laughs> you ever think, what if I was cutting an orange and my knife accidentally cut an atom in half? I'd blow up everything. <laughs> oh, maybe I'm the only one who had that thought. Okay, well, you guys are a little more scientific. When I was a kid, I actually used to think that. What if I'm cutting this orange and I slice an atom? Boom! Well, that's what sin is like. One little sin and... You can't put it back in the bottle. Mix my metaphors. Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, this is after sin, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Uh, interesting that the snake really did nothing wrong. Um, it was Satan inhabiting the snake, but God used the snake and said symbolically, I'm going to, Remind people of this sin because you're always going to be punished. And if you think snakes are creepy, what do you think of snakes with feet? (laughs) They apparently used to have them. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So he turns from the snake to the woman. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. This was before epidurals. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam's curse goes beyond him to the ground itself. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat The plants of the field, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. You almost get this picture of a man at war with the ground to fight it, to give him food. And in the end, the ground wins because he gets sucked into the ground himself. Um, 
but you shall return uh, to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall go. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Best designer clothes ever. There's only one set made, as far as we know. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim, or it's an angel, with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, that's our text. I want to make just four brief observations related to our subject, and then we want to hone in on one verse. So, here are the four brief observations. One, women are life givers. We've got to pick that up on the way. Women are life givers. Men are never called life givers. Women are called life givers. Verse 20, Adam said, he called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The word Eve means to breathe or to give life. In the Hebrew sense, breathing and spirit is is a similar idea. In fact, um, it's even snuck into the English language throughout time when we think of... uh, uh, Pneuma, the word pneuma, P-N, pneumatism. Uh, pneuma is a, means spirit or, or breath for the Greek. <laughs> and, and that's the word form. And if you go uh, today, when you think of uh, pulmonologists, and, and, um, and, and that, that word is, has become to mean lungs. And so, forget all that, uh, <laughs> that was just interesting, but if you go back to the beginning, she was called breath, um, which for the Hebrew is spirit. Um, it, it, animals aren't spoken of in the same way of having the breath of life, but humans, God breathes into them, and the spirit goes into them, and so Eve is called breath, or life, that's her name, life, um, because she gives life to all living. Only women can give life to anyone. This is very bad news for Western civilization because women are having a lot fewer babies. They're not having enough to replace us. We haven't got another option. Um, if women don't give life, no one gives life. As a, as a commentary, um, uh, the, the, the idea of, of, of a woman being able to give life and, and, and bring life into the world, this has been very devalued by our culture. People seek to get away from getting pregnant and having babies, and, and um, it's sad. It's sad because the Bible puts this right in Eve's name, right in Eve's name. She is a life giver, um, and men are not. And I value that, and you should value that, whether the world values that or not, all right? Second thing to note briefly is salvation comes from a woman's body. Just like all life comes from Eve, salvation also comes from a woman's body. You say, well, I didn't see that. Way back when he was talking to the snake, he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the snake. That means war. Now, now, I don't think he means that all women will hate all snakes, although they, a good majority of them, I think that's a safe bet. Because it wasn't the snake's fault, it was Satan's fault. So he's really talking to Satan. That doesn't mean you women have to like snakes. You can hate snakes or like them, whatever you want to do. Um, my mom once... Uh, 
came in from hanging out the laundry. Hanging out the laundry was something done uh, by the Amish, and, and before it, there was a time when people who weren't Amish did it. And um, <laughs> some of you remember those days. And my, mom, my mother came in when we were living in Florida. She grabbed her twenty two, ran back outside, and, uh, and asked uh, one of my brothers to go out and, and get what she shot. And she got her big old water moccasin. That's, you know, when you hang out the laundry in Florida, I think there was enmity between my mother and snakes. But I don't think that's, that, that's what he was talking about here when he talks to the snake. He's, he's talking about Satan. Satan's the enemy. And her offspring will crush his head. And, and the way the text says it is, he will crush your head. So it's one offspring, not all of them. And, and singular. And most interpreters say, and I can't argue, that this is the first prophecy of the coming Christ. Remember, Jesus lived forever as God, but when he took on flesh, he came from a woman who came from a woman, right? All the way back. So salvation comes not from the body of a man, but from the body of a woman. Third, male and female both lost harmony with God. Before we even talk about the lost harmony between male and female... The foundational relationship for a human being is not a relationship with another human being. That makes us different from the animals. You know, your foundational relationship with a human, since you're made in the image of God, you're made to commune with God, is with God himself. Ultimately, when you die, you die alone and you're judged alone. Um, You're not meant to live alone. God created us to live in families. Um, But... God is your judge. God is the one you need to relate to. God is the one you need to be friends with. It's impossible to be at perfect peace with yourself or with other people unless you're at perfect peace with God. And correspondingly, the the more yielded you are to God, the more kind you will be to other people. The pr- that's because the primary relationship in your life are not horizontal, but vertical to you and God. And that's the way humans were made. That's why it's futile to think, you know, we look at our world, they fight over everything. And now that we have trolls and social media, anything can be a fight. You can't even watch football anymore without people fighting like a bunch of children. People are all fighting with each other. They're not going to stop fighting with each other. Do you know why? Because their relationship with God is messed up in general. The, the, the bigger problem than male fighting with female is male fighting with God and female fighting with God. Man's default on his operating system has, has a virus called dissatisfaction. There's no more dissatisfied species on the planet than humans. It's just all there is to it. If there wasn't, there wouldn't be any commercials. Why don't we sell them our new car? Well, they're happy. (laughs) Come on, you want it. No, I'm feeling pretty good. No, they're all dissatisfied with what they got. And who they are. And you won't find satisfaction on earth. You've got to find it in finding God. But you can't have a relationship with God as a sinner. Sin ruins everything. God solves that problem. As many of you know. If you don't know, I'll get to that later. Fourth, 
thing to observe briefly. The creation itself fell when mankind fell. But, uh, this isn't the centerpiece, but it's something to keep in mind that when the Bible says, uh, because you fell, the ground is cursed. You know, yeah, God made everything, he made it good. And then someone says, oh yeah, what about flies? Right? What about mosquitoes? You always go to mosquitoes. Poor mosquitoes. Uh-uh, these poor little critters, they fly great. They, you know, try being a maggot. The least loved thing on the planet is probably a maggot. God made those. What Did he have a bad day? Was he upset? Uh, there's some flies that are going to lay stinky bugs and call them babies. <laughs> and uh, boy, they smell too. They're going to get on your food. You don't know what a fly looked like before the fall. You see, mankind had dominion over the earth. When he fell, the earth fell. For all you know, the fly was the most awesome of insects, which means flies everywhere are cursing Adam's children. I was awesome. I'm going to go to the bathroom on your food and lay maggots in your trash. I'll show you. I mean, mosquitoes could have been just the coolest thing ever. The, the ground, here we have Adam in the fight with the ground. It's going to bear thorns. How easy was it to bear things before? Romans 8 says this explicitly. In verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, all of creation is eagerly groaning and waiting for Jesus to return so you and I who know Jesus can have our glorified state because apparently when we get a glorified state, the earth gets renewed. So it says, the creation waits eagerly. What is your cat thinking? I already told you what your dog's thinking. He's thinking, what's that smell? What's that smell? Your cat is thinking, would you hurry up and be glorified? Because I'm tired of going to the bathroom in dirt. I mean, they want to be revealed as glorious for the creation was subjected to futility. All creation was subjected to die because mankind sinned. Right? Because we sinned, oleander bushes and rose bushes have to worry about something eating them. You know, there's futility in the world. Everything dies. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the redemption of the earth comes not on the, you want to see Earth Day? Earth Day is when the Lord returns. He gives us a new heaven and a new earth. That's Earth Day. Then it's going to be awesome. All right, with those four brief things out of the way, I'd like to focus all the rest of our time on one verse, and really the second half of one verse, and that's verse 16. Verse 16. To the woman... He said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I'm not going to focus on that part. As fun as it is to talk about pain in childbirth, we're going to put that off for a while and go to this part. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. I have to throw in here that if you're reading any other book, Bible except the ESV, or if you're reading ESV before they updated it, it says your desire shall be for your husband. The word contrary to is not in there. 
um, the reason for this discrepancy is the actual Hebrew says that your desire shall be for your husband, period. But the meaning of the desire for is contentious. And so they translated it by trying to put the meaning to make it more clear. I always prefer you leave it unclear and let us figure it out. But there's nothing wrong with this translation. It is correct in its meaning. So he's saying, this is the part we want to look at. Your desire shall be for your husband or contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. What does this mean? It's helpful to look ahead because this exact phrasing is used in one more place in the Bible and only in one more place in the Bible. And it happens to be just a few lines down in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And, and so let's look and we'll see that. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Um, if you don't know the story, Cain is, is one of the children of Adam and Eve. Abel is too. And Cain is really mad because God doesn't like his offering. We don't know exactly what's wrong, but he did it wrong. And so God is chatting with him because God's patient. And he says, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He's like, oh, I'm the God of second chances. You're all right. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is, the exact same wording, its desire is for you. And they translated it the same way. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. So what we see here is Cain is being told there's a struggle in your life for leadership and power. And sin is, is going to be seeking to cause you to be under its power, to obey it. But don't let sin cause you to be under its power. Instead, you are to master it. And that's how we would apply those words here. But now let's go backwards. It says, to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, yet he shall rule over you. It's the same words. I think the meaning is a little different because we're not dealing with sin and a man. We're dealing with a man and a woman. And we're dealing with a general rule for all men and all women in the context of marriage here, right? This isn't, God isn't just telling this for Eve and the rest of you women can go, well, pff, he's talking to her, good thing he wasn't talking to me. This is a general rule for society, for male and female. What is the rule? There's gonna be a struggle for leadership in that relationship. He's the leader, <laughs> but your desire is going to be to be contrary to him, as they say it. To usurp him, perhaps. To undermine him, to tear him down. To knock him down a peg, or even to take over. You're, gonna, you're not going to want to follow his. You're going to find in you a wicked desire to spurn his leadership. But he is going to have an intrinsic power over you. It, it may not seem fair, but by virtue of his maleness, he's going to have a power over you. Um, if you haven't looked at this truth before, I want you to, I just encourage you to think about it a long time. Think about it for weeks. And just turn it over in your head and see if it isn't true in the world you see. She will be tempted to change him, to control him, to direct him but she will be powerless unless he lets her. He will be tempted to 
push and bully, perhaps even, or boss emotionally or physically, but I don't think it's always just physical. I don't think it's just a physical power over the woman. I think there's an emotional difference between men and women when they're in relationship, where he's like, I don't care about pleasing you. You're not going to rule me, and I am going to have control here. And he's going to have some sort of power. And he's going to, he's going to be tempted to sin too, to ignore her or overpower her. Um, This is the heart of disharmony in male and female, right here. This is where the dance turns into a fight or a battle or can. Because she wants to be in charge, and he is in charge. Um, Just to rush ahead of myself, not really a subject for this sermon, but the next couple weeks sermons, (laughs) or the next few weeks, the man can fail in his leadership in two ways. One, he becomes the brute or the bully. Or two, he, be, he doesn't lead. I think we're, we live in the second today. Men don't lead. They're, they've all become a bunch of babies and little boys. And before you ladies yell at them, it's largely because you sleep with them without marrying them. And they're like, why should I lead? I get what I want. And that really is that basic. It's that true for a man. Um, still what grandma once said, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? That's how a man thinks. And, um, and they're babies. They're sitting in their, in their living rooms playing Xbox, even when they have good jobs and no wife. Like, why should they? They have a girl any time they want her. And they're, they're, that's the other way. You could be a, a, a boss and a bully, or you can be a wimp and not lead. And when you marry, you, you can be tempted to either one, neither's good. And a wife... Her two extremes are going to be to usurp and to try to take charge constantly and undermine him or to be a doormat and stop being and, and, and let him get away with being a bully, which she shouldn't. Um, in any case, that, that's for another sermon, but I know when you teach on these things, it leads to more questions. And I want to just give a path ahead as much as possible rather than creating questions. Now, there's a possible objection to this. There are feminist theologians, yes, there are feminist Christian theologians, who say that this text needs to be interpreted as this, this way. When God says this, what he's saying is, in the garden, he was not your leader, and you did not have to follow him, Eve. But now, because of sin, you do have to obey him, and he is the leader. Therefore, leadership in the marriage and submission by the wife and leadership by the husband is a result of sin. You with me? Then the argument takes the next step and says, since Jesus Christ died to take away sin, when we come to Christ and get new life, we need to correct that by taking the leadership out of the marriage and putting it back on equal footing, like the garden was. Um, The difficulty with this argument uh, is it goes against what the Bible teaches. (laughs) Um, Adam had leadership before the fall. It's it's well-established in the Scripture. Let me show you. Man was given a mission. God said, Adam, manage this place. And he goes, okay. And then he said, I'm going to give you a helper to aid him naturally, implicitly, she is his helper and he is the leader. But if you say, well, maybe you're pushing that, 
I'm not, because the Bible interprets itself, and the Apostle Paul, in speaking of the necessity of male elders or pastors in the church, which we're not going to cover today either, but we will cover, so hold on to that. Paul gives this justification in 1 Timothy 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet in relation to being a pastor, that is. Why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. He goes to the order of creation before the fall and said before the fall, there was an order of leadership. And in the home and the church, we live with that. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, he's even more explicit. He, in speaking of an argument over head coverings, he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Now, this has nothing to do with sin because Christ is God the Son and God the Father is His head. It's not a result of sin, right? Because God the Son never sinned and God the Father never sinned and they're equal, completely equal. They're the same in essence, they're God. And yet one is the leader. It's an orderliness. And then he says, the husband, I'm putting him under Christ and the woman under the husband. By under, it doesn't mean less than. It means this is the orderliness by which I've designed for harmony. And you say, well, if God designed that for harmony, why are we having this discussion? Why was there the feminist movement? Why are men brutes? And why do we have to have women's shelters? And Well, because sin ruins everything. Sin kills. Sin is not a toy. It's not a game. It kills. And men, instead of leading like God wants them to, They lead like sinners. And women, instead of supporting like God wants them to, they act like sinners. So instead of peace, there's disharmony. Leadership in marriage is not to be arbitrary. Whichever one of us is the best natural leader. First, whatever a natural leader is, it's, you know, that's very subjective. But second, that doesn't matter. God didn't flip a coin and go, okay, Heads is, well, let's not use heads because that's loaded language. Let's get a different coin, all right? This side, men means men get to be rulers, and Eve on the other side means the women get to be rulers. Oh, stinks to be you, Eve. It came up at them. Part of being a man is a desire to lead your wife and family and even though some men in their sin don't believe it, also is the ability. Part of being a woman is a desire to build that family from the second chair, if you will, and to make that environment her own. He is going to be tempted to lead poorly by bullying or being a blob, as I already pointed out. And, and I say blob is, most, is the most common one. But there are bullies out there too. She, instead of respect and support, is going to be tempted to disrespect him, to ignore him, to usurp him, or even being a doormat. I think the first one is more common. The second one is there too, though. Okay, some practical 
implications from this. This is the heart of the fight, and this is the heart of where we're going to build on this. When we begin to talk about husband and wife, which we will next week, we're going to jump in to 1 Corinthians 11 because Paul put some principles in there. We're going to talk about head coverings and all that stuff. I'd like all you women to bring a doily from under your lamps to church next week so you can throw it on your head. <laughs> Big change is coming. <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks to you for some of you laughing. Some girls are like, oh, I knew I didn't like this pastor. And that was pretty insensitive because every woman who does wear a head, all the Mennonites are thinking, it's not a doily! <laughs> Sorry. But the, the fight comes right there. And harmony, though, also comes right there. Because you can always push... Well, let me jump into what I... I'm going to go in the orderly fashion I planned instead of going off script here. So, some practical implications. One... The largest, in the largest possible way, this verse is proven true by history. Now, this is going to get me in trouble. Because sometimes you get in trouble in life by pointing out the obvious, because the obvious is not politically correct. That's about to happen. I want you to know I love you. I like you. I have no desire to, I am not, I don't want to bully anybody, male or female. And um, I'm a, I just want to say I'm a cuddly, lovable uh, little bear of a man. I just want you to know that. Before I point out something politically incorrect but obvious to anyone who likes history, and that is in every society throughout time, the power women have is the power men have given them. And that's just the way it is, and the wealth too. The way it's worked out in every society is women have the rights men give them, is, is that men have the upper hand. Because he said, your desire shall be for him, but he shall rule over you. And men rule over women. I am not saying they handle it well, either. I'm not justifying the, the abuses of men. I'm just saying, look around the world and see that. Men have, they have the power. They have the money. Women have it when men give it to them. For the most part, <laughs> the feminist argument wouldn't, Hold if men, well, it might hold because women are also rebellious and sinful just like men are, but a good part of it wouldn't hold if men didn't abuse the power. If they didn't see them as themselves in certain times and certain societies as greater than women, as often they have. History shows that too. That's the sin of man. Feminists want the power back and they rightly see it's going to be a fight because men don't have to fight. They have the upper hand. Women have to fight. Do you see what I'm getting at? You never see men's rights movements. Why? You know? Because <laughs> they never need one. Go to Saudi Arabia. They just gave women the right to drive cars. And it's the funniest thing. They're like celebrating this. And they show these pictures of these now liberated women. And they're completely dressed in black except a slit right here. Like, look how liberated she is. How about we let her choose her clothes too? <laughs> The men didn't have to lobby for the right to drive cars. What the Bible said is the pattern is the pattern. That it's abused? Yeah, it's abused. But the pattern we're going to have to live with. But I want, on a positive note, history also shows to those looking that wherever the Christian faith has permeated a society in a significant manner at any given time period, the role of women goes up. And it's just a fact. It's better to be a woman 
in America than any other place in the globe. It's better to be a woman in Western Europe. You don't believe it? Have I got some mission trips for you? You can go to Ethiopia, where my wife went on a mission trip. You can go to India. Go to India, and you will see where Christianity is not the word of the day. Women don't have rights. Um, not saying all Christian societies treat women correctly at all times. I'm just saying that's just that also is not politically correct, but it's true. Just look at history yourself. Second practical implication. I survived that one. That was the one I was most scared of. And by the way, why do, why do Christian societies do that? Because men, Jesus treated women as equal. That's why. He treated children as equal, too. He treated the poor as equal. He treated lepers as equal. He treated everyone as equal. He showed us that humans are humans. It's like all the who's down in Whoville, or what is that? Horton, here's a who. No matter how small. A human's a human. Second, men's leadership over women is not automatically trustworthy because of the fall. I think I've said that, but there I I had it written down too, so I'll say it again. You can't trust men to lead women well. All husbands are sinners. God desires men to marry and be Jesus-like as husbands. And in every age, there are some men who do this well. And a lot of men who do okay, and some men who are just rotten. Third, women's... Joyful support of a man's leadership is not automatically trustworthy because of the fall. You can, there's always been good men who marry women who are awful. It's not a modern issue. Women don't like it. Women, you women, tell me if I'm wrong later, all right? When you see a woman dominate a man and belittle him, and it's her husband, don't you guys say to yourself, oh, it's awful how she treats him. You don't like it when she wears the pants either, do you? You don't, you never put those two together, but if you just look at how it feels in your gut, but women aren't necessarily trustworthy as wives. They will undercut you. They will tear you down. They'll laugh at your dreams. They'll compare you to someone else and say, why aren't you this? And why aren't you that? And how come you don't do this? And how come you don't do that? They can tear you down. There have always been in every age women who try hard to be the wife God wants them to be. And there's always been some who try a little and some who are awful. Four, fourth practical implication, knowing the sinful tendencies of both men and women, knowing that what I'm saying is true, single people should be very thoughtful when picking a mate. And I mean that. Most of the the trouble in your life is who you marry. Now, choosing to be single is a dumb idea. If God calls you to singleness, then fine. But otherwise, most of you need to be married. And you should get married. And you should have kids. And you should have families. But don't marry an idiot. I mean, there is something to be said for arranged marriages. We set for 18-year-olds, I'm not going to tell her who she should date. Well, I will. I mean it. I'd rather you hate me for giving you advice than not scream before you marry the idiot. If only my wife had someone to warn her. It was all on-the-job training for me. You have to look outside the person Yes, outside matters. But that fades. It's more important to look inside 
first, then outside. Yeah, outside, there's got to be something. But as one, one pastor is now in heaven once famously thundered, he was losing it. You ever see a pastor just lose it in a sermon? He's getting all emotional. Probably if you go to Harvest, you've never seen that. But this guy... <laughs> He was losing it. And he was like, you, I hear young people. You say, give me tall, dark, and handsome. Give me someone who's beautiful like an hourglass. That's all you think about. He said, let me tell you something, gentlemen. One of these days, your little buttercup is going to be a tub of lard. Then where will you be? Really heard that in a sermon. It was awesome. Not sure I'd say it that way, but he made a good point. The outside fades. You got to look for born again folks. For my daughters, I told them, does he love Jesus? Does he have a job? Is he crazy about you? And is he controlling or jealous? Right? The first three will want a yes. The last one we want to know. If he's ruled by anger, you don't want him. If he's not going to work, you don't want him. And I said to men, does she love Jesus? And I don't mean they say they're Christian. They'll all say they're Christian if you'll date them. Is your, I can't tell you how many times I've said, oh, I've got someone. Is he a Christian? I think so. Okay, let's go with no. Because <laughs> Christians, if you're really a Christian, it has nothing to do with whether you go to church, your freakness comes out. You may not call it that, but your passion for the one you love most is going to, be the first thing that presents itself to everybody. So if you're a guy, make sure she loves Jesus. Make sure, and this is important, that she makes you feel important. Make sure she makes you feel important, especially when you tell her your silly dreams. Make sure she's easy to talk to and that she's not controlling or jealous. Anyway, Fifth implication. Husbands and wives should expect to continually need to grow and learn to love one another. You shouldn't be shocked by the good times of marriage. And you shouldn't be shocked by the friction. You shouldn't be shocked that you're incredibly attracted to another human. Love that person. Think they're the greatest and think I'm always going to be happy with this person. And then with that same person, you shouldn't be shocked when you think, I hate this person. How'd this happen? Just for a moment. Don't say it. Why am I so angry at this person I thought was the greatest? There's going to be friction. Why? Because you married a sinner. To make it worse, your spouse married a sinner. What do you do? You're going to always work on yourself, not the other person. And you're going to grow in grace in Jesus Christ. Because the fruit of the Spirit is really what's needed in marriage. Sixth. This one is one we're going to write down. We must learn this foundational truth about all humanity. All of us must learn to deny sinful desires within ourselves. And this is really, this, this one, if this is true, if, and it is true because God said it, if, if from now on, Eve, you're going to want to usurp him, but he's going to be able to rule over you, what you see in a good marriage is two people both trying to promote that which is good that God wants them to do and to restrain that which comes from within themselves. The Christian life is about disciplining yourself, restraining that evil of your old nature which wants to take over, saying no to it. Men's desire to bully or to be lazy, he has to fight those. He can't say, well, just the way I am. No, get up. Man up. Change. Woman's desire to tear down or to 
to doormat herself? No. Stop it. And the reason this is we're writing down and not the other five is when we think, and as we get to these other subjects of sexual attraction to other people outside of marriage or same-sex attractions or transgenderism attractions, the answer isn't you're more sinful than everyone else because you desire that. The answer is, yeah, just like everyone on the planet, you desire things you ought not and what you should do about that is you're gonna have to repress those desires. Sin is crouching at the door for all of us. And it wants to master you, but you must master it. We cannot be defined by our desires. That's really what you see out there. People are, they have a desire and then it becomes their identity. They're blinded by Satan and it's hurting. All right. Sin is the problem. What's the, what's the problem we're talking about? It doesn't matter. Sin's the problem. Sin is death. It results in death forever and ever. <laughs> death within and death without. Death of your spirit and death without. The solution to sin is new life. It's not cleaning up the old one. You can't clean up a sinned on soul. You can't clean up your soul. You can't. Once, it's like used matchbook. You can't do anything with it. It's empty. There's nothing in it. You need a new one. And that only comes from Jesus. At the heart of everything is Jesus. The power to be a wife, the power to be a husband, the power to have same-sex attractions and not act on them, the power to not sleep with people you're not married to, the power to not lie, cheat, steal, the power to live a righteous life. It all comes from Jesus. But best of all, forgiveness of sins and new life comes from Jesus. You see, when he died on that cross, in a way he planted himself spiritually so springtime could grow in your hearts. I don't know if that metaphor works for you. How about a different metaphor? When he came up from the grave, having paid for your sins with his blood, he made it possible that a new breath of life could come. Think of it this way. Adam and Eve received the breath of life you're breathing, right? Adam and Eve, dust. One was made from dust. One was made from a rib. God breathed life into them. He eved them, because that's her name, Eve. He lifed them. Somehow, she lifes the children, and your mom lifed you. Maybe you are a mom, and you lifed somebody. But that's earthly life. You die and you lose it. But Jesus can breathe spirit life on you. And I'm not just making this one up. John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus rose from the grave, he went to the apostles and he appeared to them. They're all shocked. And the Bible says this, quoting from John 20, 22. When Jesus had said this, he, listen to what it says, he breathed on them. Strange. It's a strange little. What's that? Often people breathe on you like. Did you just burp in my face? I don't think the gospel writer wrote this down because it was that kind of a breath. He breathed on them, and then he said, "Receive the Holy Spirit, the noumena. Receive the Spirit." 
he, he was signaling, now that I've risen from the grave, he was symbolically si- signaling that now when I breathe on you, you get new life. And it's, and it's my life, and that life is without sin. And all your sins are forgiven. And he gives it to males, and he gives it to females, little boys and little girls. It's just cool how Eve means breath, and she's the giver of life to all, but Jesus breathes out the Spirit on us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.